You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Hardin, and today's topic is the Enneagram Passions virtues in marriage. I'm so excited to say happy 2021. We are here, guys. We made it. It is so exciting to be through 2020. And while we've seen so many hardships in 2020, I know you've had some good experiences too, because we've been communicating all last year. If you've been looking at this podcast and checking it out or with us at the Enneagram and Marriage Instagram, you know that we have been working this past year on our relationships, or if you're new to the podcast, you have a year to catch up on. And we had COVID hit right in the middle of it. So we had to do some breaks for anxiety repair and so many different issues that we covered. So I'm so glad you're here with me in 2021 as we get ready for a fresh new start as well as continue the journey together. I'm also so thankful that we're starting out our Enneagram Glow Challenge this week. I've been looking so forward to this because I think it's so vital that we connect with our spouses and ourselves on a body, mind, and heart level. So make sure you're on the email list. You can get on it at enneagramandmarriage.com or reflectioncc.com. That's my counseling and coaching practice website directly. But the Enneagram and Marriage website has not only that, but if you haven't gotten your Enneagram Glow Guide, for you and your spouse, you can grab that there too, because you don't have to have one in order to do the challenge, but it will take you on a deeper journey with the challenge because Enneagram work is deep, guys. You know this, and we can all say we know our basic type. We know our basic meme. We know the nine things we're supposed to do, but there are wings and subtypes, and today we're talking about virtues and passions. There's a lot of work to be done, so I want to take you on a deeper journey if you have your glow guide, and if you don't, you can still join us for the journey because we're journeying. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday this week. And you can also get in touch with me later by texting me if you did not do this on time and you're checking in later in the year as I had some do from last year's challenge. You can write in at enneagramandmarriage at gmail.com and I will make sure to get you the challenge. So I'm so glad you're here. And now let's get started on just a bit of background For those who are new to the podcast, I've been working with couples and studying marriage for almost 20 years. I've been with my husband, Wes. This will be our 20-year anniversary as well, and we dated for about five years before that. So we have lots of relationship experience going on over here. Wes is a medical family practice PA, so he's often sharing tidbits for us too about how we can prevent COVID and take our vitamins and get self-care. And he'll be on another episode with me this year to talk about Enneagram and health. So I'm looking forward to introducing you to him or him again. And we have so many requests for shows that I'm super excited to show you this year. We have Enneagram and Newlyweds, Enneagram and Pregnancy, Enneagram and New Babies, Enneagram, and we're doing a research episode. I have some authors coming on. So in addition to Wes and I, you get a lot of other voices represented here. And I think that's probably something that's huge for this show to be of interest to you, especially 
actually, as I do my growth path, even when I'm in self-preserving mode, I need to look to others to share their amazing gifts. So I'm so grateful and I'm also grateful to those who want to come on and talk about their couple glow. I have so many fun people coming on to talk about the ways their particular marriage type glows together in the world to make a brighter world for others and just for them to enjoy their marriage even more. So really thankful for that. Let's get started on talking about the virtues and the passions of the Enneagram. So you already know there's nine types and you already likely have heard this podcast or know enough about the Enneagram to know that in a very basic level, everybody fits into the box of one type. We have the type one, who is often called the reformer or the perfectionist. We have the type two, who is often called the giver or the helper. The three, often called the achiever or the performer. The four, the creative or the individualist. The five, the curious innovators. The loyal guardian, six, sometimes called the skeptic or the troubleshooter. The enthusiastic seven, and also called the optimist. We have our eight, who's our protector and our challenger. And we also have our nine often called the peacemaker or the diplomat. So you know about these nine types and you know that you don't want to just sit in the box of your type. You know that you have these wings on the side of you that help you to develop. You also understand that you have a growth path first to your health arrow and then to your stress arrow from that spot of health. So for instance, as a seven, I have to take the journey to five first. That's my place of growth. And that's where I get my focus and I calm down from my anxiety. And that's where I do some good planning. Then I can head over to the one space. Instead of going to it in a place of stress, sometimes you say I have a health arrow and a stress arrow. Then I can journey to the one from a place of that, not only joy of the seven and focus of the five, but also the healthy planning, which says, now I have enough time for everything. I can do it in an orderly fashion and I can do it well and good. So this is my journey, but if you want to know more about your journey, you can definitely check that out at EnneagramInstitute.com. And I'm linking that in the show notes today because I'm also showing you the virtues and the passions section of that website as well. So you can check out your different growth journey if you don't know it, but I just wanted to make sure you knew that there's a lot of different facets of your Enneagram growth and those health and stress arrows really do a lot of good work to revolutionize your personality type. So you want to not just sit in the box of your type, but access your wings a little bit to support you. Try to balance them out. And those are the types sitting on either side of you. So for me as a seven, those are my six and my eight. And then you also want to use your stress and your health arrows to take that journey of some of the other types at their best. So you probably knew that. And that's why I'm going to jump into a different concept that goes a little bit deeper now. And this is really important for your 2021 work because this is the work we've been building up to when we need to make movements in our Enneagram type. Because as opposed to the other personality assessments I studied in my graduate days in clinical psychology program, what's different here with the Enneagram is there's much more of a fluid system. It's a moving system of inner working parts that once you take a step into a healthy direction, 
you have new gifts that are exposed. So it's a wonderful gift to your marriage and family when you're not just that one gift, but the passions and the virtues will help you to be able to open the door just knowing what they are will be another level of insight for you. So I'll go through each type and their passions and their virtues now so that you can get a sense for your journey in 2021 and hopefully beyond. And don't feel bad if you're always feeling like your passions are with you. And by passions, I mean your personality ego fixations because they just are a part of us. And sometimes you might refer to them as the thorn in your side like Paul in the New Testament. But you can also say, I am growing and I see awesome growth in my life so that you're not totally discouraged. And I want you to say that and to see that and to feel excited about the changes you make because I don't want you to feel stuck or that you can't make moves. I know you can and I know so many of you already have. So I'm super proud of us for the journey we've been on. But, you know, I'm a forward thinker. I want us to keep going. (laughs) So we got to balance out our past work. We got to balance out being present. And then we have to make plans for the future. So our passions, we don't want to stay in our ego fixations all the time, right? We want to make sure that we are thinking more about how we become not only happier and healthier, but holier, better. So that's called the holy idea of the Enneagram. And that's very biblical in the sense that we're always striving to be at our absolute best self. And it's also very stoic and in that sense of just wanting to be practical. Of course, I want to be at my best. But we really want to make sure that we are not so distorted in our thinking, feeling, and doing, and forgetting how we're connected to bigger purposes in life. We don't want to forget that. And our passions, as we go through them, you're going to hear just how they keep us in negative places. So briefly to go through them, and then we'll go through them individually. But one, has the passion of anger, two has the passion of pride, three has the passion of deceit, four has the passion of envy, five has the passion of avarice or greed, five has the pa- six has the passion of fear, seven has the passion of gluttony, eight has the passion of lust, and nine has the passion of sloth. So these are the difficulties that we each experience when we're thinking about what am I really focused in on? What is here with me at all times and what is always going on with me? And sometimes that's a bit of a shock to some of you because you're like, I don't even sense that. I don't even know that. But I want you to do a deeper delve to make sure you have the right type. We can struggle with all of them, of course, but we also need to make sure that we're aware of our biggest struggles. And your ego fixation is probably going to be on your type at the very biggest. I know at my website, enneagramandmarriage.com, I have a very, very basic rubric for looking at your deepest issues so that you can see what your type is. But you can also come to us. Melissa on my staff does the ready test. She does an Enneagram assessment so that if you just want to be assessed for okay, here's a great Enneagram test we can take and we can talk out what is my type. You can do that as well with Melissa. But I also want you to understand some people just know, oh, this is definitely my type. It feels like somebody just opened my mail. And maybe even when I just read you those passions, you were like, yes, that's me. I know I can relate to that so much as a seven with the gluttony. It's always with me. So we'll talk about how we want to still be loving and gracious to ourselves and compassionate, 
but use the system of the Enneagram for growth too, so that we can be at our best for ourselves and our families and our spouses. So type one struggle with the passion of repressed anger and hostility to what is imperfect. And they get really upset and they don't like the word anger because they often didn't feel anger was helpful as a term or that maybe they weren't even allowed to feel anger as a child because they were so busy serving others. So it's not been part of their repertoire. Instead, they're very sensitive to what is right and what is good. But you do have to understand that some of it is relative because we have the sense of there are people on both sides, even just to use a quick example, politically that are ones and they just sense because they're five senses people that they are so right. And so you have to understand that as much as we're not a morally relativistic culture, that there are true good and bad things in the world. And and because of this, we know that stealing is wrong and robbing a bank is wrong and we're committed to marriages and we don't like adultery as a world, even if sometimes we've stumbled this is the the stuff of right and wrong that a, a one needs to cling to and they need to find their right action and they need to understand that unless this is one of these big places that they want to hang their hat on, they really have to back away from this repressed anger. It's very toxic to a family and it can hurt a family very much and make everybody upset because there's no serenity. And the virtue of the one is serenity. And that serenity comes when the one says, yes, I will, you know, die on my rock here for my biggest, boldest. I will fight as hard as I can for my most important ideas. But my ego fixation of fixing everything, I'm letting go of that. And I was telling Wes, sometimes you can learn to let go to the point that you look younger, feel younger. And my husband is a one. So he was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. And it's been so fun for me to see the journey that he's taken because the Wes I knew as a teenager is so different now that he's been able to accept serenity more. And I hope some of you ones can say that about yourselves, that you are on that journey too. And it does not mean that that repressed anger isn't always there bubbling underneath the surface, but you're learning to see it. You're learning to say, I'm noticing it. It's here again. I'm feeling resentful. I'm feeling like I'm working harder than everybody else. I need to take a very deep breath as a body type and I need to let go of some of my stress in my body and take some self-care time. And that's part of our challenge. So make sure you sign up for our challenge this week if this is you. But I want you to know that this is your journey. And this is beautiful because you have such a beautiful, caring heart and such beautiful vision for how the world could be. But you get so caught up in the anger and the injustice that you lose your way and you forget that God's already at work and that you just are part of it and you're blessed to be a part of it. And if you're strong and a warrior like most ones I know, then you're blessed. So enjoy that blessing. The passion of the two is pride, and it's basically the self-elevation and false seduction, this grandiose place that the two comes from when they're not healthy. And sometimes they follow that up by devaluing themselves. So it's somebody who says, I need to help you. I don't need help. And I'm the best, and that's why I can help others. And it may come out in bragging to friends or to get feeling upset if people don't honor you and their virtue is humility 
Their virtue is them recognizing that they're important like everybody else and that they are just God's child and they're just doing their part and they have a helper gift and others have other gifts. They allow themselves to feel the relief of that and they are humble about it and they don't have to see themselves as more important and they don't need others to approve them because they're not superhuman and they're not having to take care of everybody. And I really like to see a two in this space. One of my best friends, Amy, lives in this space and my therapist on my team, Glenda, and Melissa Thompson on my team, they're both, all three examples of amazing twos. And here's the beautiful thing. I would know they were twos because of the way they help and serve and love, but I would not know them by those unhealthy issues. And my friend Amy (laughs) once told me when I was picking her brain, I said uh, a couple years ago, Amy, you know, these issues of the two are not you. And she was like, um, no, I do struggle, you know? So it was fun for me to hear that she was admitting like, yes, it's real and it's in me, but she is just one of my favorite people in the world. And that's why she's one of my best friends because she's done so much healthy work on herself that I wouldn't have known that unless she told me that was a private struggle. And of course I was nosy. (laughs) So I was grateful she shared that. So that's for you guys that are twos. And the threes issue, as we said, was deceit. The three is not only deceitful to others sometimes, but especially to themselves, that self-deceit, turning themselves into what somebody else wants, identifying what's valued and becoming it automatically. And I really love to see a three when they get healthy because when they do, they're emotional, they're not lying, they're not fake, they don't have to brag, and there's nothing wanting to be fake about them. There's a sense of, I am who I am, it's not going to win me all the lot, I don't have to be on the stage all the time, and they're, they're beautiful truth is called truth, basically veracity. That is their virtue. And they have a willing heart to be who they are and nothing else. And they connect to their spiritual heart as well. And that's been fun for me to see for my husband as well, because he's a one, three, six tri-type. So when I've seen him let go of status and rank and not have to be the captain of the football team and not have to be the best basketball player, these are way early things maybe he dealt with as even a, a team teenager in our early years. It was so beautiful for me to see him rise up out of that. And it's still, quite frankly, a journey, but I love to be part of that with him and I love to do my work with him. So I'm really grateful to say that when you see people just owning their struggles and saying, I don't have to be just like what this person in my life wants me to be. And by the way, this person is usually a spouse or a parent or a very good friend. Then really we start to see who that person is emerge. And boy, has it been fun to see my husband emerge as an artist because that was not permitted in his culture growing up. And I want to honor everybody on his journey by saying we're all doing our best. But wow, how cool that we have this great tool, the Enneagram, to look at together and to make these moments together that could be life-changing for the next generation and for ourselves and legacy. Oh my gosh, awesome. So threes, do your work and show us that you are aware that your passion is with you all the time, that self-deceit and that you're working on that. 
the passion of the four is envy and comparison. And what they're really struggling with is whether they're better or worse than others. And as one of my four friends said to me, it's usually worse that they feel. And so it's really important that the four understand that we're all equal and to stop comparing and take some time to really get out of the habit of comparing. It's very difficult to do, but there's also very tangible steps you can take. And that's what I'm going to have you focusing in on partly with your journey this week in your challenge. So make sure that you really take a good look at your life for, because this is doable. I know my four daughter did something huge this past school year when everything changed due to COVID. She was aware, she didn't even know the Enneagram terms, passion and virtue, but she sensed in her spirit because she was trying to balance that her life would be out of focus in a healthy way by staying on Instagram as a four during times when she would be shut out of a lot of experiences that she had been a part of. And she said, I'm going to take a break from this space. This is a trigger for me. And I'm so glad she did because she's had a very sweet year. Has it been easy for any of us over 2020? No. But to see that the stress has worn off and she's had permission to take life slower, I just want that for you guys. And so your virtue is equanimity. It's believing that I'm not more or less ranked, higher or lower ranked than anybody else. We're all beloved and we're all equal. And I don't have to worry about that because we'll all do our best to be at our best. So I love for you guys that you're not just connecting with what's missing, but what is here and now. You're rising above the ups and downs. You're getting that broader perspective. So that's so important for you to do. Um, Just don't also over-identify or under-identify with your feelings for because you are such a feelings person and we love that about you, but we also want you to understand they have their place, but give your feelings the space to allow themselves out as well as to get into your body and into your mind. Okay, the five passion, as we said, is avarice. It's basically trying to hold back or hoard your time and space resources economically and trying to not acquire more, not to receive more, but not to give more either. And your fear is, of course, depletion there, but you don't have much feeling and you're not very close to your heart. So you hurt yourselves and your family because you're not believing that the energy flow will be there. And that does take faith. And that's hard for us thinkers as we move into the head types. But I want to let you know that your virtue is a healthy non-attachment. It's not that you're detached from the world like you are when you're in your passion hoarding but you're actually non-attached in the sense that you're not attached to that control you like, the self-control. And every type likes control control in a different way. I can make an absolute, and I'm sure you can too, argument for each type and how we like control. Uh, You could say nine is stubborn and eight likes to definitely have control and seven doesn't want anyone to control them, et cetera, and so forth. But your passion is a self-control five that nobody would try to overtake you or overwhelm you. And we don't want that either. But the truth is, Your passion hurts you and it makes you lose energy. And that's the craziest part. Your passion actually does what your worst fear is for all of us, not just fives here. So make sure you remember that your passion is hurting you. And when you have flow in your life, and as I said last time, I think about rec therapists and growing through flow. 
You have to understand when you open your heart as a five, you're allowing people and emotions to come in and out as they will. And of course you're setting boundaries, but you're making space for people to come close to you without a plan. And you're allowing the day to come as it will. And you're aware that sometimes things come in that you didn't plan for and that that's okay and that there'll be enough for that. And I think that you, when you realize there's an infinite energy, you can really explore your gifts more and you can be even more of the innovator. And when I say there's an infinite energy, I mean your rest will provide some of that energy, your friends, your family will provide that, your spouse, and you will set boundaries, but they won't mean the world to you. You will definitely not be hoarding them and losing energy there. Precious energy. I sounded like Lord of the Rings. So if you listen to this podcast, you'll know that I like to make Lord of the Rings references. I'm sure you already know that. Okay. Okay. Sixes, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear that their passion is fear. Sixes are right in the middle of the fear triad and they have anxiety. And sometimes it's a little more severe and we would say it's clinical anxiety and maybe they need some help with medication or special vitamins. But we also really understand that fear is part of life and it's being alive and it's not always a bad thing because it's a body systemic thing, but it's not owning your own authority the way sometimes a six takes it to their passion. And that is so important because sixes are very resilient when they can own their authority and they are the most courageous of all the types because they're going ahead despite fear. So they're not delegating their power, but they're owning it. Their heart is open as well. They're balancing out. And you know what? They're no longer phobic or counterphobic, but they're relaxing and going ahead despite their fears. And they're not trying to block it and protect, but they're just stepping into their life and saying, I know what to do. I'm a good planner and I can take care of things as they come because I am really good at that. And the fear isn't there when they're in their action, when they're in their doing space. It's only there as they're planning. So if they just take their time to do their planning, they won't really spend much time in fear. So it's very important for you to realize six that that's where you find your virtue of courage. So fear is only anticipating courage is going ahead despite the fear. And like I said, the fear dissipates because now you're moving. Okay, sevens are issue. We have the issue of gluttony. As I said, even one time when I was listening to a podcast on gluttony, I was actually deciding whether I would eat my daughter's leftover pancakes. And I was like, this is the irony. No, this is just so sad. It really was sad. Um, and so I was just sitting there saying to myself, oh my goodness, I'm truly frustrated here. When I realized it, I didn't walk away from the pancakes either. I just took a much smaller square and I realized I was about to devour it. The biggest thing I can say for us sevens is, like I said for the other types, that gluttony will always be there, us trying to unhealthily plan for something to take over the overwhelming emotions that we think are in our lives. One more reason why I want you to do the challenge with me because we really have to be mindful of it. And when I was mindful of it, I did a lot better with it. I didn't ruin my afternoon by having a carb coma. I just 
lived. And that is very hard for us sevens who don't always want to stay present, but we want to plan for constant plates in the air because we're thinking, oh my gosh, if I am gluttonous, then I will be able to experience it all and no one's taking care of me. So I'll take care of myself. And the truth is just like I said, with the five, it hurts us and it actually creates the very thing that we're afraid of, which is being incapacitated and not able to take care of ourselves. So think about that for a minute with me, Sevens, that when you approach your virtue of sobriety, you can take care of yourselves. You can allow food to have its taste that it does, and you can enjoy it in the moment. You can allow yourself to go to your focused five space and say, I'm going to sit down and eat slowly and enjoy the present five senses that I don't normally allow for. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be taken care of. And I know how to take care of myself in a meaningful, healthy way. That's going to help you a lot, but it's going to require, again, that you are balanced and that you do monitor your anxiety in the best ways you know how with your thoughts, with your thinking, with your body, and with your feeling. And facing those feelings is not going to kill you. I know you think it will, but when you approach that virtue of sobriety, boy, is that beautiful because you're focused and you're able to say, I'm here with you. And I love being that for my clients. It's harder to do that with my own family as the anxiety rises up. So I get it with you. It's a huge journey, but I want you to know the journey so that you can be uncomfortable as you're trying and step toward it. I do believe that with your awareness and intention, you're going to continue making healthy steps. Okay, type eight, your journey is going to be involving your passion, which is lust. In this case, it isn't always a sexual lust for eight. It's the lust of more, of the physical gratification, of not being in touch with emotion as much as not being in touch with healthy thinking either, but but power and excess and getting close to others when talking and taking up a lot of space and intense eye contact, big energy, excessive beyond your body. And you leave the partner or the family sometimes feeling very threatened or a little bit threatened. Or I know that going out with my dad to eat at restaurants a lot as a kid was a mixed bag because I didn't know if that eight would overwhelm or be attractive to our waitresses and waiters, or if they might say something that would make him feel like he needed to bring that side out more. So there's always a questioning around you when you're not in your healthy zone as an eight for those who are in the family saying, is this person going to bring this out? So in the passion of the eight, which is lust, a lot of the time it has to do with other people and how you are with them in relationship. So you need to be aware of that journey, like we said, of balancing your heart and going to that vulnerable space. And that journey is called the innocence for the eight. It's their journey to their virtue of innocence, which is a non-responsive place of just thinking about and and feeling with your family in other empathic responses. And it's taking that three second break and saying, I can step away, I can step back, not to plot and to gain vengeance, but just to be and just to love and to serve and to remember others and to remember that God has me and I don't have to always protect myself here or always daunt 
others and that sometimes there's not an ill will, but somebody's just dealing with their own issues. And I think that's huge for an eight. Something I work on a lot with my eight couples where there is an eight in the marriage is, you know, this person has issues and traumas that go beyond you and they're not all about you. So you don't have to feel like they're always against you when they're acting out of their own passions. So remember that eights and remember how beautiful it is to just be there for people to just listen and to share your own feelings instead of just making it about them and what they have done to hurt you. Just looking and say, I'm feeling sad today. I'm feeling hurt. I'm just dealing with my stuff and here's what would be helpful. That's a great way to approach it, but not in an overarching way of such power and daunting prowess that the other person feels smothered where they feel like you're controlling them. So work on not approaching that from a place of control. And the other big thing here is obviously work on your self-care with your body work. Have such big, beautiful body energy. So it has to be expelled daily. I don't have quite as much as you guys as a seven. So I have to measure my steps, but you guys have even more. So there is a sense of burning off even more. And that might be fun for you to say, what sport can I get involved in or get involved in again, and maybe go up against another eight in sometimes and let off some of the steam. I know my dad did a lot of bodybuilding at home just for fun. He wasn't professional with it, but just to allow those weights. I know a lot of eight people who like to use weights or punching bags and and it can be a beautiful workout. A lot of eights who like running and then as they get older, move that into biking or whatever is going to help you to feel your way through things and experience them without being a looming presence for your family. Uh, you just don't want to put that all on them. So that's important. And it's a beautiful process to watch you becoming calmer and more serene and innocent. So I am going to move on to nines and let you guys know that nines to no surprise struggle with sloth as their passion. And it isn't that they're lazy. They're often very busy. It's that they are so busy doing for others and letting others opinions sink in and not having their own that they're not in touch with their own sense of being and they're not awake to themselves. So the hard work they're doing for the benefit of other people or their family or their spouse creates in them a dullness and a loss of energy. And so instead of being in their right action, which we know is the virtue of the nine, another word for that right action is engagement. We know that they are really feeling too tired. They're feeling like they merged with everybody and that their life does not have any more avenues they can take. But once they bring that energy back to themselves and you guys say, okay, I am a nine. I know I disperse the energy. I'm going to collect it back and use it. Now I'm more powerful than anybody else. And I like how Beatrice Chestnut and Uranio Paez say it, that if you're standing in front of a nine in this point, you better get out of the way because they're probably going to, you're probably going to have steps on your back. I mean, this is a powerful person once the nine is awake to themselves as well as to others. And as I saw in my awesome nine daughters IG the other day, she said, it's not thinking of others in 
ahead or instead of yourself. It's including yourself in that process. So it doesn't have to mean that you don't think of others. You guys really like that. That's one of her favorite things to do is to include, especially as a social nine and to be part of groups. But she's also very aware that her work is to walk into her own stuff too. So taking that hour a day or that um, day a month is so important for you guys where you can go into your turtle shell and, and veg out and maybe take some time in a restful place. But that is not your only work as a nine because your big work as a nine is not just that rest. It's really engaging. So I think it's so important that we understand that sometimes as we look at all these types, you see baby steps into our places of health. You don't see us going all the way to our virtues. Sometimes you see me as a seven saying, oh, I used to run five miles a day and now I'll do two. I have to keep conscious of my body's wearing out and I have to do other things. Or you might see a three saying, I'm not going to lead every project because I'm also going to volunteer now and nobody's even going to know, but I'm going to start giving in secret like some of the nines and the fives I know. And then you see a five say, I've been at home all the time and now I'm going to be giving one hour or two hours a month to the local charity in this special different way that costs me something. And this is us kind of stepping also outside of our instinctual variants, our subtypes and saying, okay, I'm doing this clumsy but important walk towards balance. And we are also taking a bit of faith that that's going to bring us health in our families and in our marriages too. But I really wanted to tell you that As you're putting on your virtues in marriage, sometimes your spouse isn't going to be super happy with it at the beginning because they're used to seeing you in that space, as I shared last time, because they're they're just, I mean, we want what's comfortable sometimes. You remember the Israelites' journey out of Egypt. They asked, can I really please just go back because I'm feeling uncomfortable. And that's why I want to do the challenge with you guys this week. I want you to be able to say, okay, it's not just about finding comfort. It's about doing things that are going to bring long lasting change to this marriage. Even if I have to take it step by step. And that's important for your spouse to be able to catch up with you also because your spouse is somebody who deserves to be on the journey with you and doesn't deserve for you to say, dude, I've changed. Everything's different now and I'm not going to be the same anymore and you're just going to have to get used to it. I think that would have been really hard on Wes if I had done my Enneagram work like that. And even if your spouse doesn't like the Enneagram, you can say, okay, the Enneagram is a tool I'm going to use, but you don't have to think of your spouse always by their type, call them their type, etc. label them with a type if they don't want to just do your work and let them see. I know before I did Enneagram and Westwood is in his most difficult season for his life's journey so far. And it was really hard, but he said, you're doing self-care every day and you're making it. And, um, that was a gift that I could give to him. And he's given me so many gifts over the years, like many gifts, including health. When uh, my doctor didn't show up for Jack's labor and delivery, Wes had been, he's a one, three, six, and his six had been planning and preparing. And I was like, why are you planning for my labor and delivery? Ha ha, I've done this already twice. It's no big deal. And he's like, well, what if something happens? It's like, sure enough, the doctor didn't show up and Wes had to do the delivery with me. Um, that was just a moment we had together where 
I'm so glad that he was able to give to me. Uh, And my ways of giving to him are sometimes by example and by bringing joy to him when he's really feeling tense and angry. But we also have the responsibility to ourselves that when our spouse is acting in their passion, that we don't take it on as a codependency. And that's something that we've had a lot of conversations about over the years. And you come up against each other and you come up against yourself and there's blood, sweat, and tears. Hopefully not blood, but you get my point. I guess in the labor and delivery there was, but there's so many things that you're going to have to really walk through together that are going to take a long time. And that's why marriage is long. And so I want you to join me on this journey this week to help your year to go better. We don't know what the year is going to be like. I will say that with certainty with you guys, but what we do know is let's cover each other in prayer this week and let's really try to love on our families uh, and let's try to make sure that whatever's happening politically, whatever's happening in the world with our jobs, with our families, that we are trying to cover our emotional and spiritual and physical and cognitive journey well. And that way we can be hopefully at our best for whatever we're up against, as well as to make some really great goals together. So stay on my email list. I will be sending out specifics for your challenges Monday this week, Wednesday this week, and Friday. And that way you know what the plan is. And then if you have the glow guide, you can go even deeper with your journey and you can find that at enneagramandmarriage.com. I'm so grateful for this time with you. It was a very big time and a very big topic. I look so forward to hearing how it's gone for you and how it's going, guys. Have a great day. Bye.